Would you turn your Bible with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 6? We have been looking at the theme of spiritual warfare. I think this is a very fitting theme for us today, nowadays, as we are battling on several different fronts in our hearts and as we look around us and the things that are going on in our, in our lives, we, we have all that we need from the Lord Jesus Christ to fight the good fight of the faith. And the Apostle Paul gives us a tremendous text to show us all the equipment that we have. What a treasure this is. Well, welcome to you if you're here for the first time. Good to see you. Welcome if you haven't been here in a while. It's good to see you. I'm glad to see Dawn and Ernie with us and back there after you've been away with surgery and oh, difficult times, right? Good to see you both very much. Um, let's be praying also this morning. I'm, I'm reminded with the empty row here with the Kriegels, Darren and his family are down uh, to see his sister who is expected to to be with the Lord here in the next week or two. Um, she has been battling with colon cancer for quite a while, the worst kind that you can have. And um, she is trusting in Christ, but her family has gathered around her. They were going to have a Christmas family celebration today. Um, and uh, so pray for their family. And then we also um, reminded of... Uh, oh. The uh, Lynns will be heading down this week to take Bella to be uh, tested at Milwaukee Children's Hospital. So pray for their family. They've been through a lot recently as well. So uh, as you see some empty pews today, be praying for those that usually are sitting in them. And uh, may the Lord's will be done in our lives. Let me also point you, before we pray together about those things and ask the Lord to bless our time, to, I want to point you to the bulletin. Um, down at the bottom on the front page there, I just want to remind you that I, on a weekly basis, remind you of memory verses. I like to put some verses for, for Scripture memory in the bulletin each week so that we can be encouraged together as a church family to hide God's Word in our heart. I try to pick some verses from um, the, the text that we're studying, and that will become particularly applicable uh, this week or next week, probably next week, as we finish up this series on spiritual warfare, and we'll you'll see how that is in a few moments. But also, I put there a book of the month, and you'll notice this November book of the month is "Who Am I?" It's called "Who Am I: Identity in Christ" by Jerry Bridges, and I think that's a particularly helpful book and applicable now as we're going through Ephesians six because. Our strength comes from who we are in Christ. And there's a lot of talk in the Christian realms about identity in Christ. And maybe you, you, you've latched onto that as an, a religious phrase, but when you go to think, well, what does that really mean? What is the substance of what it means to be in Christ and who I am in Christ? And not a whole lot fills in your mind there at that point. This would be a great book to read that in a, in a brief way, would detail what does it mean when we say, this is who I am in Christ. This is my identity in Christ. That would be very helpful. So I commend that book to you, and, uh, and may that be a blessing to you. 
Well, let's stand one more time here together. And I'd like to read our text that we've been going through together in unison, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get back into our study of, of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Would you read this together with me out loud? Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we thank You that in the midst of this evil day that You have given us all that we need to stand firm. We thank You, Father, that You have, by Your grace, placed us into Christ. You have convicted us of our sin. You've shown us our spiritual deadness, and then resurrected us to stand in heavenly places with Christ spiritually. You have given to us His righteousness. You have redeemed us. You have forgiven us. You have called us Your sons. You have promised to give us an inheritance. You have owned us and possessed us by the Holy Spirit. Thank You for putting us in Christ. Thank You for giving to us power the resurrection power by which You put all of Christ's foes under His feet. You have given us that power to live the Christian life and to stand against the evil one. We thank You. Father, we confess to You this morning that we think too little of spiritual warfare. We too often have our minds set on earthly things and we really don't notice as we ought to the, the attacks of the evil one. Father, we thank You that You have forgiven us and that, and that we would ask You to be gracious to us and, and put glasses on our eyes, the glasses of Your Word, so that we can see more clearly what the evil one is doing personally in our lives and that we would be able to withstand against his temptations and distractions and to be able to to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Thank You that You have provided all that's necessary. Teach us more about the armor. Father, as we begin to look at it today, open our eyes. Help us to see how to be equipped with the armor that You've provided. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus for His glory in the church forever. We pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. 
the main idea of this text that we've been looking at, Ephesians 6, 10-20, the main idea is simply be strong in the Lord and put on God's armor so that you may be able to stand in the war. You know, most people don't see or recognize that there is spiritual warfare going on all the time because it's not a physical front of war, right? We, we know when a, an enemy, a physical enemy, is invading our, our country. We know when we have to send soldiers overseas to, to liberate a country from, from tyranny. But we don't often see when we're being tempted. It is a very subtle thing. It's not something you put your hands on. The weapons that we use to defend ourselves aren't physical. But it doesn't mean they're not powerful and real. And so that's what Paul is working with us to understand in this text. The main idea comes from the main commands. You can see in verse 10 here, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on as a command. Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Verse 14, stand therefore. And then, as you walk through these, these different pieces of armor, that command sort of is sustained. Stand, having fastened on the belt, having put on the breastplate. Stand, having put the shoes on your feet. Verse 15, again in verse 16, take up. You can stand in the attack of Satan and not give up your position, as it were. And you can not given a temptation by, again, take up the shield of faith. Stand by taking that shield. Take the helmet. And take the sword of the Spirit. And so these are the commands from our general to fight the good fight of the faith. Battle against the evil one as we live the Christian life. Remember we talked about last week, we kind of looked at the big picture of what is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is the Christian life. And we realize that we need to affirm in our own minds again and again that this is not a tenuous battle in terms of a believer truly enduring. Every true believer will endure and fight this battle and win it because it's already been won in Christ. Right, The overall battle of redemption has already been bought and paid for, won and completed in Christ. He has crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. And so really what the battle is, is it becomes an evidence of who is a believer and who isn't. The one who is standing, seeking to identify and and fight and stand against the temptations and the the attacks of the other one is the one who's proving that they're a believer. And that, that person will win the war by the grace of God. And so we are called to be strong in the Lord and put on the armor so that we may be able to stand in the war. Last week we looked at the first two points, well, half of the, of the second point, and we'll complete that this morning. But we're really asking the question, how can we be strong in the Lord and put on the armor and stand in this war? How do we do that? That's what, that's what Paul's really answering. And there are four main points in our outline. How do I do that? One, enjoy the ability for the war. That's verse 10. We looked at that last week. To envision the adversary in the war, verses 11 through 13. Number three, employ the armor for the war. We're going to look at that beginning this morning, verses 11 and then 13 through 18. And then number four, engage in the activity of the war, verses 18 through 20. And this outline is in your bulletin as well. Well, let's look at these 
points together this morning. Let me just remind you, last week we, we began to look at the ability for the war. How do, we have, how do we have the strength for such things? Because the war gets hot. Temptation becomes very strong. I mean, could you imagine the, the intensity with which Satan came at Christ in the wilderness? I don't think, I don't think any of us have had that sort of intensity of temptation. But temptation can be intense for us as well. Testing can be heavy. Trials can be long. So how do we have the strength to even stand up in this battle? And we learned last week that it comes from our position in Christ. First of all, that was point A. Your position in Christ, the glorious details of our position in Christ. We're safe in Christ, resurrected with Christ. Ephesians 1-3 through explains that. And secondly, because of our position in Christ, we learned last week that we have a power from Christ. We stand in the strength of His might. Finally, be strong in the Lord. There's our position. And in the strength of His might. He gives to us, we learn in Ephesians 1, 15-23, we learn that God provides to us the very same power that He raised Christ with from the dead. Secondly, we can be strong, we learned, as we begin to envision the adversary in the war. And there was two parts to that point as well. First, letter A, our adversary is the devil. He is our ultimate enemy. And we looked at the schemes of the devil. So many ways that Satan tempts and tries to scheme in order to fight against us as believers. He wants us to sin. He wants us to be discouraged. He he does not want to see the kingdom of God progress in us and through us. And we looked at why we looked at why Paul shows us such a formidable enemy here. The, 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 um, the reformer John Calvin wrote, Paul shows him as formidable not to scare us, but to quicken our diligence and earnestness. We're tempted to either sloth or terror, but Paul calls us to be alert. And so we looked at this in some detail last week. You and I must learn to recognize these attacks from the evil one and resist him by the power and provisions that Christ has given to us to overcome him. We looked at a whole list of the ways that Satan schemes to tempt and try us. And I wanted you to to try to remember some of those and to think about them throughout the week. He causes us to doubt the character of God. He causes us to want to deny the Word of God. To disobey God's Word. To be discouraged. I listed them all beginning with a D because I think it helps me to remember them. Distraction with the things of the world. Dismay or fear, anxiety, worry. All these things can be attacks from the evil one. He sometimes tries to destroy the people of God through heavy trials as he did Job or Joseph in the Old Testament. Disunity in 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Deception. All kinds of deception comes at us. Dependence upon ourselves. Distance from the body of Christ. Disgrace internally and externally. We looked at these last week. I'm not going to to belabor them. Being discontent. But Paul doesn't stop with only describing our arch enemy Satan, his identity, and also how he comes to to scheme and attack us. He continues to unmask our enemy by including the army of demons that is working against us under Satan's diabolic leadership. Notice verse 12 again. 
This is letter B in your outline under number 2. Verse 12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's quite a description of the demonic army that Satan commands in order to resist the work of God. We've said that Satan is no match for God. And I know you believe that. It's true. God is omnipotent or all-powerful. Satan isn't. That ought to bring some comfort to you. God is all-knowing. Satan isn't. God is everywhere present. Satan is not. But Satan does have a mighty army at his disposal that does his evil bidding. Revelation 12.4 seems to indicate that one-third of the angelic army was removed from heaven with Satan when he exalted himself in pride against God. They followed him and became his army for evil. Now this doesn't all of a sudden then make him a match for God, but it does make him a far greater foe than he would be all by himself. And so again, Paul's words call us not to fear, but to be alert and to be absolutely dependent upon God because it is this army that attacks God's people. Verse 12 in our text describes this army with some detail. There are words that Paul uses here to describe the demonic army. And you see these words elsewhere. Does the words in verse 12 kind of jog your memory of some other texts? You see these words, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers. You see words like that in Romans 8, 38-39, where the Apostle Paul assures us that not even the demonic army can separate us from the love of God. Also, Ephesians 3.10 talks about, the Apostle Paul says that God has, has planned the mystery of the Gospel to be at work through the church so that even angels and demons can look upon the glory of God's work and be amazed at it. Colossians 1.16 talks about, uses these words to describe that, that they were created beings. Beings created by Christ for His glory. Colossians 2.15 talks about these words as well. These, these are the words that Paul uses to describe unseen demonic armies, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers. So what is this, this demonic army like? And I see five descriptions here in verse 12. First, notice this word wrestle. He says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against this army. Such, such a fascinating word. We are wrestling against this army and the evil one as believers. It's a reality. A conflict. That word means a conflict between two opponents in which each strives to throw the other to the ground and, and, and pin his neck to the ground with his hand. I mean, this is, this is a hand-to-hand, close-quarter mortal combat. And and this would apply even in this context to two soldiers fully armored engaging in close hand-to-hand combat. And notice the prepositions in here. Against, against, 
against, against. That picture's close up, even face to face. This is a very close struggle that brings us to the enemy face to face. We don't sense that very often, do we? And that's why it's so subtle. We, we don't see it. So many, so many things come at us from evil forces. This is what makes it so dangerous. They are a fighting army. Close fighting army. Second, they're a spiritual army. We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is not... This is not a physical army that we're fighting. Look what it says here. Spiritual forces. And where are they? In heavenly places. We cannot chase them down. You can't go to where they are. You can't plan a physical attack to do them in. This army exists and wrestles in a realm in which natural human beings are particularly vulnerable. We, sort, we, we do feel unnerved by what we can't see, right? That's why we're afraid of the dark. Well, some people are. Kids, right? Kids are just kids are afraid of the dark. No, but that's why it unnerves us. You can't see it. This army exists and wrestles there, and their warfare is described also very clearly in 2 Corinthians 10. And let me just remind you that I'm... I'm going to keep referring to this text throughout our times together as we look at this theme. 2 Corinthians 10, listen carefully as I describe the kind of warfare, the kind of wrestling match that that this army engages with. The Apostle Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, and we're walking around in physical bodies, we are not waging war according to the flesh. That that calls us to be very alert. Where is this coming from? How are they how are they coming at us? What does this look like? How will I know? Verse 4 For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy, to destroy strongholds. That's very encouraging. Though we don't have we're not wielding physical metal armory and swords in this battle. Our weapons that God has provided to us are no less powerful. They're divinely powerful. They wield the power of God. And verse 5 so helpfully describes our warfare, the very reality of it. We destroy arguments. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's where the warfare is. It's a warfare of ideas. Philosophies, truth versus error. That's where the battle lies. Sin versus righteousness. So, so we, we so often look even at difficult people, we might say, or disturbing situations themselves, and we, we put our energy to oppose a person or a situation, and that's really not where the warfare is. It's a spiritual, demonic army. That's what's behind so much. The ideas that come at us and, and the, the troublesome situations that come to us. Yes, God is sovereign over all and He's working all things for our good, but He does allow some measure of freedom to these forces. And that's what is behind the battle. 
the army of the evil one is not only a fighting army, a spiritual army, but I see here also that it is an army of authority, of power, of organization. Look at the words themselves. Rulers. Paul calls them rulers. In other words, spiritual beings with with primal position, very high rank. There's a structure described here. And that structure is infused with authority and power. Spiritual beings with very high rank. Authorities. The idea there is that there are spiritual beings with a measure of freedom to act and execute their will. You see organized power. Look at this cosmic. What does that word mean? That's where we get the word world. Or system. It's, it's an organization of power. They're structured. They're organized. They have their act together as it will were. And you see this particularly in Daniel chapter 10, verses 13 to 20. Would you turn there with me just briefly? Let's, let's look at that. I want you to see a picture, an illustration of the structure and power of this army. And it'll, it'll open your eyes a little bit, if you're not familiar with this text, to what is going on in the world. So Daniel chapter 10, look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Just stop there for a moment. Who's talking? Gabriel, most likely. The angel Gabriel and the reason he's coming and talking with Daniel is because Daniel was praying and he wanted, he wanted some discernment and, and, and God sent Gabriel to Daniel to let him know what was going to happen in the days to come. And Gabriel, the angel, is saying, the prince, the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. He's talking about some sort of demonic being with power that resisted him from accomplishing the will of God for a time, of course, in God's sovereignty. And God sent another angel, Michael, right? And eventually he did come to, to Daniel. Verse 15, When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned to face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one of the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. And I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except against these except Michael, your prince. So it appears from this text that there are demonic beings 
assigned to have some sort of power over the kingdoms of the earth. And you get that sense here in Ephesians as well. Authorities against these cosmic powers over this present darkness. Why do we think Satan is called what? The prince of the power of the air. The the god of this world. Small G-O-D. We wrestle against no haphazard chop shop here. This is a highly organized, powerful spiritual fighting force. And by God, in God's sovereignty, they have a measure of authority and power at work in this world. So it's an army of authority, power, and organization. It's an army of darkness. You notice that phrase there, over this present darkness. They fight against the people of God right here. Right now, through the darkness that surrounds us. The darkness of ignorance and immorality and deception and death. Darkness has a theme all the way throughout Scripture that is that depicts these things. And so we need to recognize where and when and how this evil army is at work and learn how to stand in Christ's strength and victory in the evil day. And it's an army of evil against the spiritual forces of evil. And we are to stand in the evil day. This army is full of wicked, destructive, malicious purposes and desires. They fight from that kind of heart, if you will. There's no mercy or compassion in this army. And we're called to withstand this army in the evil day. And the evil day is when? Now. It's it's now. The moment of temptation, distraction, deception. It's the day of spiritual attack. And to withstand means to resist giving in to that attack. The word withstand here that that Paul uses is the same word that the Apostle Peter uses in 1 Peter 5.9. It says He says, resist him. He talks about the adversary, the devil going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of affliction is being fulfilled in the, in your, among your brothers in the world. Stand firm to resist to give up no ground to the temptation and deception and the schemes of Satan. We're called to stand firm. Having done all. Look at that phrase there. Having done all to stand firm. What does that mean? Having performed or accomplished everything necessary to defend our position, our, our position of victory in Christ, the moment of spiritual wrestling. So what does that look like then? We've got the spiritual position in Christ. We have the spiritual power available to us. And we're called now because of this army and because of our position and because of the power we have, we're called to stand, withstand, having done all to stand firm. How do we stand in the evil day against the devil and his demonic army? And that's where our third point comes in. Having done all, refers to putting on the armor that God has provided. That's that's what having done all means. We stand firm in the victory that Christ has won, and we stand defensively against the attacks of the satanic host as we, number three, employ the armor for the war. We have been given the armor of God. Every believer has been given the armor of God. It is the armor 
that he has forged on the anvil of his own character and by the saving acts of Christ. This armor has divine power. I love how he phrases this. Take up the whole armor of God. This is the armor of God. This is no human armor. This is God's armor. It has His power. One commentator says, the strength of the Lord gained by utilizing the full armor of God is stronger than all the power of the wicked. That is what this text is telling you. You can stand against any attack of the evil one by appropriating the armor that God has given to you. Now, as we talk about the armor that God has provided for us, keep in mind that this is not a war with, with metal weapons. The illustration, do you ever, you ever have a conversation with your children, you're trying to help them understand something, and then you try to bring in an illustration, all of a sudden the illustration becomes way more important to them than the point that you're trying to bring across? So don't let that happen with this text. Yes, we've got the illustration there, and that's very helpful. But the point is what we need to get. The point is what Paul is after. This is a war of ideas. Remember that? The battleground is the mind, the heart. It's a battle of thoughts, concepts, philosophies, desires. Remember 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6. Take for example Job. Where was ground zero for Job? In Satan's mind. Where was it? Was it all about Job holding on to his children and the house that got wrecked and the wind and, and, and restoring all the sheep and the cattle? and all? Was it really about that? What was it about for Job? Remember what he told God? Satan comes to God and, and he says to him, think of your servant Job. The only reason he loves and trusts you is because of all the stuff you've given to him. If you take away all the stuff, He will curse you to your face. That was ground zero. It was about Job's steadfastness and faith toward God. It was about the glory of God. All the happenings were just that. They were the instrument to get at the real war zone. You see? And so where Job had to fight was not, wait, i got to get some more sheep. I gotta rebuild this house. I gotta try to have some more kids. No, it was about trusting God. That was ground zero. It was about knowing God and His glory. Satan was after dishonoring God in all of that. And Job, by God's strength, was an instrument to bring glory to God by his, by his ongoing, persevering trust and love for God in spite of the, the, the issues. Take Paul in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. What was ground zero there? Right? Satan sent a demonic messenger to give Job a thorn in the flesh. And I don't know what it was. Doesn't, it's kind of irrelevant. That's the point, right? We don't, we don't have to know. What was the issue? God wanted Job, Paul. God wanted Paul to remain humble. You see? That's, that was the issue. This was so that he could remain humble and trust solely in the strength that God would provide. It's a war of ideas. It's a war of thoughts. It's a war of temptations and desires. 
And so when we're attacked on the spiritual level, how do we stand or resist that ground zero? It's put on the whole armor of God. Use this armor. Understand what it is and how to appropriate it. Take up the whole armor of God. We're commanded to put to use these pieces of armor that God has provided to us in Christ through the strength of the Spirit. These are the pieces of armor that we are to use directly to oppose the spiritual attacks of, of devil and the demons. Notice that Paul says to take up the whole armor. Where to use all of them? And you find yourself using all of them at the same time. Because they're all essential. And I understand that the illustration is not the armor. We're not fighting physical warfare here. The, the pieces are just illustrations. And think about it this way as well. We, we don't put this armor on mystically by somehow breathing a prayer and imagining that, that some spiritual pieces of armor are being put on our spiritual being. Oh, okay, I got the armor on now. Did you see that in your mind? That's not how this is. That's not what this is at all. No, we use the armor by spiritually exercising each spiritual piece that has been given to us by God to overcome the spiritual attack of the soul. And we're to stand. That, notice that word here. We are to stand. To hold your ground. Having put on the armor. Notice the word having. Having done all. And, and then especially here in the next section of verses, stand therefore having fastened on the belt and having put on and so on. Why does he have that word there? Because it signals to us that if we want to take a firm defensive stand when Satan attacks and, and give up no ground, then we will need to have already strapped on these things. Having signals to us the need for preparation, ongoing effort and duty and diligence to keep these pieces of armor on ourselves and fresh for use. We stand having already put on and having taken up the armor. So the first three pieces of the armor are clearly preparatory. Stand. Stand having fastened on the belt having put on the breastplate, having as your shoes, having put on the readiness. And we'll look at how the second three pieces come into play in just a moment. Or maybe next Sunday we'll see how far we get today. But the point that we're saying here that Paul wants us to catch is that we do not wait until the wrestling match begins to put on your armor. This is incredibly important. You have to have this armor on now and to be exercising it. It's like you, you see Satan's attack coming, like, hold on, I gotta go read my Bible for a while. I gotta learn some more stuff first. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works in warfare. You have to have been equipped and readied already. And then you go and face the army. Don't wait. Christ has given armor to us from the moment of our entrance into his kingdom the day of our new birth, and we must appropriate that armor immediately by exercising each spiritual piece regularly in our lives. So what's the armor? How do we stand? Alright. Let's look at this armor. Number one, letter A. 
fasten on the belt of truth. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The soldier's belt was typically made from strips of pieces of leather sewn together. And the soldier would fasten his belt securely around his waist. The function of it was to protect his thighs, to hold his sword, and then to tuck in and secure any loose clothing that would trip him up in combat or prevent him from quick and skillful movements. That's the illustration. But what is our armor? Our spiritual belt, Paul says, is the truth. That's the way these work. The armor is truth. That's your belt. That's what holds your sword on. That's what keeps you from tripping in fast movement, spiritually speaking. What, what does he mean by truth though? Well, first, certainly he means objective truth. Well, what does that mean? The realities that God has revealed. That's your belt. You have to have that on. The realities about God, about human nature, creation, marriage, salvation, Christ, the cross, eternity. Everything that God has revealed to us through creation, through Christ, through the Scriptures, is truth. We have to have that in our minds. And that's how we strap it on. Objective truth. You know, it's so obvious in our culture today that propositional objective truth is, is everyone's trying to shove it out, right? Everything's, well, that, that could be true for you, and, and, and something entirely different could be true for someone else. That's not a, the way it works in God's economy. There is truth and there is lie. And the objective truth is our belt to resist the evil one because his most commonly skillfully used weapon is the lie. And so part of becoming a Christian, dear ones, is that you have now this insatiable desire to discover what is true about everything. And you look then to one being in the universe to discover what is true about everything. It's God Himself. Because He's the Creator of all things. And He is the owner of all things. I need truth. Tell me the truth about this. It's not left up to us to determine what is true. We, by the power of God, can discover what is true. God has determined what is true. But then there's also a sense where the belt is subjective truth. What does that mean? Well, that means living life as a Christian with integrity. It's actually the consequence of absorbing truth. When you live your life by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God, to discover what is true about everything. And that's a lifelong journey. It's it's an eternal journey. But that will change your life. That will affect how you live. You, you don't. You, you long. You hate. You hate hypocrisy, even though your life still has a bunch of it in there. But you then begin to live with honesty instead of hypocrisy. We often call it when we see someone who walks like that. We say, "Man, they're the real deal. They're true blue. I see who they are. 
they're, they're, they're the same wherever they are. Speaking the truth with one another. Not pretending to be a good Christian while you're around some people and covering up a private life of sin and worldliness all the while. That's subjective truth. Living life as a Christian with integrity, not hypocrisy, but with honesty. Being committed to walking in the truth of Christ, whether you're, you're with the people of God or with the world or alone. That's the belt of truth. Objective truth, subjective truth. And the primary action of putting on the belt of truth is to fill your mind with the truth of Scripture. That's how you put it on. You discover what God says is true about everything. You fill yourself with the objective truth of God and you love it and you're hungry for it and you search for it. And Regarding all of life in light of that truth. And you'll be changed by that truth. And you'll begin to live a life that reflects that truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the lover of truth. You can't wait until you're under attack to strap on the truth. You have to be strapping it on all the time, and then when Satan attacks, you'll be ready. Because he will attack. He will attack you with doubt. He will attack you with denial. He'll attack you with deception. How many of you listened to The Adventures in Odyssey? Anybody? There's a few of you. Have you listened to it recently? There's a series right now that, that actually played yesterday of, of, a, of a young girl, high school girl, who, whose teacher was killed in a skiing accident. And he was a favorite professor among the students. And going down the ski hill, everybody was excited going on the ski trip and hit a tree. We know some in our family that happened to. Just like that. And he left behind a wife and young kids. And that sent this young woman into a spiral of doubt. Why do you, how do you know there's a God? If stuff like this happens, how do you know there's a God? Well, because my parents told me there was a God. Well, how do, how do they know that there's a God? Okay, so you say there's a God. Well, if He's good and powerful, then, then why does He let things like this happen, right? How common is that trail of thought, right? And each one of us will walk that trail at some point in our lives. At some point we will. And what you need when Satan attacks you with doubt of the existence or a doubt of the character of God is you need truth. Otherwise, you will not stand up to it. Because what you see all around you and the difficulties of life, if you interpret life by what you see only and what you feel, as opposed to interpreting life from God's authority and His truth, you will be going astray. How about false teaching? It's all around us. False teaching that misinterprets Scripture and redefines the Christian life. That is serious. You need the truth. You need the true Gospel firmly fixed in your heart. Again, like I said, circumstances that tempt you to doubt the attributes and existence of God. Situations that tempt us to question what the Scriptures teach. We're going to hit them. And we're called to stand against the schemes of the devil. How? By strapping on truth way ahead of time. You have to fill yourself with truth. And we can the strength of Christ by having fastened on the truth beforehand. 
Let's look at one more armor today, and then we'll stop, and we'll, we'll keep going next week, Lord willing. Letter B. Letter B, put on the breastplate of righteousness. So first, the belt is truth. Second, the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The soldier's breastplate was either a leather tunic made with metal plates attached to it, or a shirt of chain mail. Sometimes when you're maybe watching a, a, an old, a movie about, about middle, uh, medieval soldiers, you'll see that chain shirt or a, a formed jacket, all of which would cover a soldier front and back from the neck to the waist. The breastplate was very important, obviously, for protecting the soldier's vital organs in combat. What is our breastplate? Righteousness. The breastplate is righteousness. The the belt is truth. What righteousness is our breastplate? What protects our vitals spiritually? Well, first, positional righteousness. What is that? Right, Big word, positional righteousness. Some people might call it imputed righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. What is that? It's the righteousness of Christ that God declares to belong to us the very moment we are born again and trust in Christ alone for salvation. This is the righteousness that Jesus earned as a true man as He obeyed the law of God the Father every moment of His earthly life. God the Son became a man, right? took on human nature, was born. We celebrated Christmas time, and He lived His life here on earth as a real man, enduring all the hardships that we endure, and even many more. And during that time, He obeyed God's law perfectly. Ten commandments. God said, you want eternal life? You've got to keep the law perfectly all the time, in your, in your heart and in your life all the time. Jesus did. And He's the only one who did that. And so when a believer comes to Christ and trusts in Him, that righteousness becomes ours. This is the righteousness that clothes us, as it were, before the eyes of God, the righteous judge, so that as we stand before Him, He sees us as holy and perfectly sinless as Christ even though we are sinners at that very moment. That's what positional righteousness is. And it's, and it's, it's because of this righteousness that we are not condemned. That we are not objects of God's wrath anymore, but given the gift of eternal life. And we're called the children of God. It's Christ's righteousness that makes that happen. It is given to it's declared to be ours by God through faith. It's, it's a gift declared to be ours by the grace of God the moment we turn from self-righteousness to trusting in Christ's righteousness. That's, that's the difference between true religion and false religion. Most religions say, well, I can do something good enough to impress God. I can be good enough. I can, I can be religious enough. I can work for this. No. The only way 
that a person can become right with God is if they have the righteousness of Christ. That's positional righteousness. But then our breastplate is also what we call practical righteousness. The, the breastplate is this practical righteousness. Some wouldn't call it imparted righteousness. Practical righteousness is the fruit of positional righteousness. In other words, everyone who is dressed in the righteousness of Christ will also begin to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. If God has declared you righteous by faith, that we call that justification, He will make you righteous by faith. That's sanctification. So, growing in Christ-likeness is the most obvious proof that you have been declared righteous by God. So, the righteousness of Christ, both practical and, and, and positional, is our breastplate. How do we put it on? And remember, he's talking to people who are already believers. right? Not people who are Right now, you better become a believer so you have the armor on. No, he's talking to believers. We already have this righteousness. How do, we, how do we put on this breastplate then? We put on the breastplate of righteousness, first of all, by continuing to reject self-righteousness and rejoice in the righteousness of Christ that has been declared ours by grace through faith. You, you rehearse this. You understand this righteousness. And you rejoice in it. And from that place of joy and freedom and strength, you keep reaching diligently to put off the life of sin and put on the life of righteousness. A text that explains this so well is Philippians chapter 3. Would you turn there for a moment with me? This is, this is the process of the mind in putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Philippians chapter 3, what Paul says, first of all, what Paul is doing in verses 4 through 7 is he is rejecting his own self-righteousness. He's like, here's what I earned. Here's, here's what I studied to become. Here's what my pedigree brought me to. And he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. The Apostle Paul before he was born again, he used to think that his Israelite pedigree and his law-keeping and his being a Pharisee would make God happy with him. And he says, no, it's all a liability. I'm still condemned even though I, I do all of the self-righteousness I can. It doesn't work. And so he says in verse 8 again, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why would He do that? Why would He just shove all of His spiritual, religious accomplishments off the table as, as, as impressing God? And here's why. In order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul knew that he could be righteous before God and be the, the object of eternal life and joy by simply embracing Christ's righteousness instead of his own. 
That's what he's talking about here. That's his positional righteousness. And then he goes on, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So Paul's simply saying, now that I am positionally righteous, I want to become like Jesus. I don't, I don't want just the, the position. I want practice. I want to behave the way I ought to. In verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies before, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's practical righteousness. Paul says, I have positional righteousness in Christ. Now I want to, I want to grow. I want to become like Christ. That's your, that's your breastplate. Rejoicing in practical righteousness and pressing on toward, or rejoicing in positional righteousness and, and pressing on to practical righteousness. And why is this important? Because the evil one's going to attack you. He has. How will he attack? How does, what attacks will be uniquely deflected by the breastplate of righteousness? Well, first of all, he'll, he'll attack you with what we call disgrace, guilt in your heart. You ever gone down that road in your mind? It, it comes hard and heavy when things aren't going well in your life too. Like, why is this all going so bad for me? I am so... And you begin to remember the sins that fill your life. I'm talking to, to a believer here, right? Someone who's already been justified. And you go down that road and you remember, man, I am so far from what I ought to be. My love for, for God is so weak. My faith is so immature. And you begin to think about all the sins that are, you're just struggling with in your life and your heart, and it's filling and it, it, it can captivate you and crush you. Like, what am I to do with all of this? The righteousness of Christ is your defense in that moment. And you say, some people will, will at that moment of despair almost and, and guilt say, well, I can do some things that will make me feel better. That's, that's not a good defense. Because Satan will take that and he'll look at the things you try to do to compensate for your sin and he'll, he'll show you all the things that are wrong with them. And then your, your guilt and your despair will spiral down even more. And you know, what, you know what needs to happen at that moment is you need to realize that you have the breastplate of righteousness and you say God loves me and treats me as He does His own Son, Jesus Christ. Why? Not, not, because, not because of my behavior. Not because of my moral performance. But only because I am clothed and covered in the righteousness of Christ. Do you realize that? That's why God loves you. That's why you are a child of God. If you are a child of God, it's because of the righteousness of Christ, not your own. I'm reminded of a, of a scene between... Of a scene between... Uh, Apollyon and Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? All right, you'll remember this. Apollyon says, You have already been unfaithful in your service to him. How do you think that you will receive wages from him? Christian answers, Where, O Apollyon, have I been unfaithful to him? Apollyon, You lost courage when you set, 
when you first set out? And you fell into the swamp of despond when you tried to get rid of your burden in the wrong ways instead of waiting till your prince had taken it off? You sinfully slept and lost your scroll. You were almost persuaded to go back at the sight of the lions. And when you talk about your journey and what you have heard and seen, inwardly you are seeking your own glory in all that you say and do. Christian says, all this is true and much more that you have left out. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. And besides, these failings possessed me in your country, and I have groaned under them, being sorry for them, and have obtained pardon from my prince. You see how he worked with that attack? He said, yeah, you're right. And way more than you know. But the reason why the king loves me is because I have the righteousness of Christ. He's forgiven me. I'm pardoned. That's how you wage the war. That's how you use the the breastplate of righteousness. That's how you use it. And certainly, the evil one is also going to cause you to doubt salvation and be fearful of God's judgment and seeks to cause you to, to look at God's wrath and say, well, maybe I'm headed that way again. You look. The righteousness of Christ. Don't look to yourself, your accomplishments. Look to Christ. His righteousness is your protection in that moment. And He may, he may even tempt you to disobey. The righteousness of Christ is your defense. He may tempt you to be discouraged. How many of you look at your, your attempts at progress spiritually and you think, man, I'm not making very far progress here. Again, it, it, that's not the point. You are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Depend on yourself? No. I'm depending on the righteousness of Christ. I tell you what, the older we grow in the Lord, and the more battles we encounter with the evil one, the more precious the righteousness of Christ will become to us. Because eventually it will be all you have to say. It will be all you have to say. And again, when you stand before the Lord, it will be all you have to say. I am dressed in your righteousness, not my own. Don't defend your own righteousness. You have none. Neither do I. Point your heart toward the righteousness of Christ alone. And all the fruit of righteousness that God is working out through His grace and, and His discipline in your life, that proves you are His child. Stand in those things. That's how you fight this war. It's a war of ideas. It's a war in the mind. Gird on the belt of truth. Stand having done that. Make it a way of life. And stand having put on the breastplate of righteousness. These are your pieces of armor that God has given to you. And they are powerful. There is no, there's no way that Satan can, can defeat these pieces of armor. They are, they are from God. They contain His power. But we'll come back to this next week. And as we, as we close this morning, I want to remind you of an old hymn that we haven't, I don't think we've ever sung it here maybe, but I found it to be very helpful in thinking about this particular theme, Stand Up for Jesus. Remember that hymn? Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus? Okay. Listen to the words. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high His royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, that sounds familiar, His army shall He lead, till every foe is vanquished. 
And Christ is Lord indeed. Christ is Lord, but the realization of Him as Lord is going to be universal someday. That's where we're headed. Stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will what? Fail you. Ah, not see. I needed to. I needed to understand more of this text before I appreciated the hymn. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. We'll talk about that next week, Lord willing. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. To those who vanquish evil, a crown of life shall be. They with the King of glory shall reign eternally. We'll talk about the helmet of salvation. That verse depicts the helmet of salvation so well. Maybe you're here today and and you don't know that you are a child of God. Do you know that you're a child of God? You don't know that your sins are forgiven. Maybe you know, I I don't know if I'm, when I die, if I'm going to go to heaven, I I don't know. I I want to tell you something as well. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You know, if you're not a believer today, you are probably afraid of death. You know what? Christ can free you from that fear because He crushed the works of the evil one. The wages of sin are what? Death. And Satan will use that fear to drive you crazy all through life unless you belong to Christ. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Dear friend, if you're here today and not a believer, you are in the power of the evil one whether you realize it or not. And you are a slave to death. And I don't want that for you. But in Christ... Death is a door. It turns from being a foe to a door where you can go and be with God forever. And no longer are you in the power of the evil one. Christ has made it possible for you to become a child of God. He has His righteousness to give to you. He has taken, He he can take your guilt and put it on Himself and deal with it on the cross. He can absorb all of God's wrath for you on the cross. He can give you the eternal life that He won when He rose from the dead. It's all available. It's effectual. Would you stop trusting in yourself and trusting Christ alone? Then death will be a door for you and the evil one will no longer have power over you and you will have the armor and you will be able to win this war and enjoy eternal life with God forever. Don't put that off. Hebrews writer says that as well. The day of salvation is today. If you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. God is a loving Savior. Let's stand together and pray. Our Father, we are grateful for the armor that You've given to us. We ask that by Your Spirit, You would fill out our understanding of these things more. Help us to understand 
how Satan attacks us, how he is even attacking us currently, and how what piece of armor works against him in the current attack, how to put on the armor, give us insight and, and desire and ability by your spirit. Thank you that that we are in Christ. We belong to You and nothing can separate us from Your love. And Father, I pray that You would enable us to enjoy our position and the power that You have given to us. Teach us to wield the armor well. And as we grow in that ability, Father, may we be faithful to proclaim the Gospel to others in the world who who have not yet come to grip with the truth of salvation and the way of eternal life. We pray that you would open eyes to see Christ for who He is and give faith, Father, to trust in Him. Give us opportunities to share the Gospel because this life is so short as it's a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanishes away. And we spend so much time seeking the things of this life. And then when we come to death, it's just, it all becomes meaningless. And eternity is before us. Help us to live for eternity, to set our mind on the things that we can't see with our eyes. Father, we ask that you would do a good work in us. Bring about salvation. Bring about sanctification. And may it be for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.